Welcome to a game of two halves. We're back. We're live. We're on LSR for the first time in ages. We're not in the blue corner this time, are we, Ellie? We're not. For the first time in two months, we're back on LSR. Well, we are still going to talk about Everton because you know we're Everton fans, but not for the whole show this time because this is the main game of two halves show. But we're going to start with Everton. What have we got to talk about, Ollie? What's happened? Uh, I mean, just the, the small little game on the south coast at the Amex. The small 5-1 victory at the Amex. What a performance that was. What a game. What a day as well. This just doesn't happen. Non-Everton fans here, listen up, because this just is such a rarity. Everton won 5-1 away to Brighton and Hove Albion at the Amex Stadium. We've won one away game all season before then, and it happened, and you were there. You could have left it at Everton have won away, let, let alone Brighton and Hove Albion and, and 5-1. Because what we, about Everton have won? <laughs> I mean, we don't win, do we? So, yeah, the, the whole day was just amazing, like... Going down there, watching that performance, watching a score five, watching a score in the first thirty seconds was absolutely mental, and we deserved every single minute of that because all the pain we've been through this season, we just deserved that one good away performance. Yeah, well, I've I've been to as many as you haven't had this year, but the one that I miss, I had a news day at university, and then you know you have to miss some, don't you? But why did I have to miss that one? You went and you've had an amazing time, though, haven't you? Listen, we'll make sure that we'll put in another performance for Wolves. You'll be at Wolves, won't you? And we'll we'll have a good day there as well. We've really done it all this year, haven't we? We've been to Bournemouth. You've drove us to Bournemouth. We've been to Chelsea. We've been to Arsenal on a Wednesday night. We really have travelled everywhere, so we deserve a good performance now, and that's exactly what we got. 5-1, 3-0 up at half-time. What on earth happened, Ollie? I mean, we have to just start with some of the individual performances, don't we? Dwight McNeil was fantastic. Decore was fantastic. Jordan Pickford in that second half was fantastic. But if we focus on the first half, McNeil, Decore, James Garner, even Calvert-Lewin had an absolutely brilliant game. And we just looked at a shadow of what we usually are. We didn't look like a relegation team, did we? Yeah, a positive shadow. It was just unbelievable. Brighton are such a good side. We know this. They've been one of the stars of the season, haven't we? And we really just nullified them. First half, it was an onslaught. And you mm. felt like every time we attacked, we were going to score. And we won this game with 23% possession. Dash got it bang on, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He got it spot on. And the way he utilised Calvert-Lewin up there as that focal point, And the way he used Decore, just absolutely running the show. He, he covered every blade of grass, didn't he? He was just absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, Calvert-Lewin, um, I think, was the, was the biggest surprise there. Because in the first minute, he, he spun the ball both Brighton defenders with that trademark turn that he likes to do now which we saw at Crystal Palace but the way he just slotted it across the Decore to, to finish that was just amazing and I thought he was fantastic we've really missed Calvert-Lewin over this season he's been injured for so much and I'm sure you non-Everton fans are thinking why is Calvert-Lewin not played half as much this season he's always been injured but I think Dyche has come in and he's worked with Dom and he's kind of got his fitness system right to the point where he's brought him back at the right time and he hasn't had another injury touch wood so far he's played three full games now I think and he, he's doing really well so hopefully we can keep him for these last three games because we need him don't we mm, yeah and as you said there Dyche has really managed him well uh, he hasn't rushed him back too much he's he's made sure that he's been sort of monitoring his uh, recovery time and, and made sure that he's been fully fit when he is thrown into that team because previous managers like Frank Lampard and uh, even Ancelotti were um, let's just say they were a little bit guilty of throwing players back in a little bit too soon to to try and benefit on the pitch because you saw under Lampard we we rushed Calvert-Lewin back and he did give us that huge goal against Crystal Palace which did keep us up in hindsight but 
yeah, I think the way Dyche has monitored Calvert-Lewin and made sure that he's had a steady return to the team has, has made sure that he's stayed fit. And, and as you said, Touchwood, he does stay fit for the for these last three games. And you don't blame those managers entirely for rushing him back because as one of the most important players for us as well, you can see why they need him in the team. And when they were on the brink of getting sacked, they were bound to try and throw one last roll of the dice. But it turns out that a roll of the Dyche is what worked. And that is what made him now suddenly stay fit for us. And I think Dyche has just been a bit calmer hasn't he? I think that epitomises Sean Dyche, to be honest. He seems to be the calmest Evertonian about at the minute, doesn't mm. he? He's kind of took draws where we maybe hope for wins, but he's keeping the points tally ticking over. Yeah, 100%. And I've, I've felt like if some listeners have listened to the Blue Corner in, the, in recent weeks, um, we have actually been saying that maybe is Dyche a little bit too calm? And is he is he almost like taking this too relaxed, going, all right, well, the points will come at some point, And then you realise you've got three games to go and there's not enough time to, to get yourself out of it. But I think the way he monitored the Leicester game, the way he monitored the... Um, the previous games towards that, I think it was so much different to the way he, he set up against Brighton. And he looked like a lot calmer, but it was a positive calm rather than a, a complacent calm. And he'll, that, that away performance has been coming. I'm absolutely beaming here. I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe that we're talking about a 5-1 win on a game of two hours, but we are. And um, yeah, it really has been coming. I think we've noticed elements of the performance that have been right in recent away weeks, but not the complete package and we finally got the complete package i think the nottingham forest game we saw decent attacking elements mm. but um wasn't quite right defensively and we threw it away didn't we yeah then at chelsea we dug ourselves out from the mess and but come back twice and then you know we've gradually improved leicester we were fantastic going forward but leaked goals once again and everything just came together in this brighton game and what that does for us now puts us on 32 points and as an Evertonian now, you're a lot more confident mm. that we can stay up, aren't you? We're now in that in that metaphorical driving seat, aren't we? That that shows that we can like we can pick up a result and it's in our hands rather than relying on results elsewhere. Like so, this weekend, obviously Leicester fell to Fulham, City beat Leeds. So I think now we can just do our job, and if we pick up the necessary points that uh, we know we can do, and, and it's completely in our hands rather than relying on results elsewhere. So I think the the win at Brighton was huge. One for, for squad morale, for the spirit of the Blues, may, may we add. <laughs> <laughs> um, two for the for the spirit of the fans and three just to, to actually get above that dotted line to make sure that we're out of the relegation zone. It's what that does for your mindset. It's mm. so huge for it. And looking ahead now at the games we've got left, we've got an incredibly difficult trip to mobile not trip, trip to Goodison across the road against Manchester City on Sunday. That is the hardest home fixture mm. on the calendar, isn't it? But you couldn't be in a more confident position, could you? Yeah, I mean, is it is it weird that I'm kind of <laughs> a little bit confident for it? I know I definitely should not be confident, but, you know, like, the, the thing that that Brighton performance has done to me, it's just given me hope again. And it's just the Everton way, isn't it? They've just roped us back in. <laughs> oh, they really have, yeah. <laughs> and we're actually considering that we might have a chance against Manchester City, which is just <laughs> mad. But, you know, it might happen. You never know. And we'll sound really clever if you guys listen back to this and we're bang on. <laughs> we think we can give them a game at Goodison because the, the key thing for me is that they're sandwiched in between two Real Madrid ties when yeah. they play us. And that could be really taxing on their fitness. It could mean that their mind's elsewhere as mm. well. Do you think that could have an impact on players? I mean, it, it can because obviously they have to travel, don't they? They've, they've travelled to Madrid yesterday evening and they now have to, to switch their focus from Champions League, which is a huge semi-final clash, to then the Premier League and, and to, to go into a team that are in the relegation zone or, or were in the relegation zone before the weekend. So I think 
for Pep, the the biggest thing for him will be just keeping them their players focused. But I think it does do difficult things for Manchester City in in terms of how much how many games they have to play in a week. They'll be thinking that they'll have three really tough games in a week. They'll have to play Madrid twice, and they'll have to play an Everton team which are fighting for their life and go to a Goodison Park, which is going to have the fans right behind the team, right behind the manager. And it's it's going to be rocking, isn't it, on Sunday? That that Gladys Street is going to be absolutely bouncing. Well, I think Dyche always says that Everton fans will always support the team, as, as he knows now. But he always says that we have to give something back mm. to the players he's talking about. And the players gave us something back there on Monday. Mm. So I think that's kind of gives the fans the impetus to be right up for it on Sunday and really help these players against Manchester City because they've done enough to gain our support for that mm. game, haven't they? Yeah, and I think if we're being realistic, obviously we don't expect to beat Manchester City. There's obviously a quiet confidence, isn't there, in this year? Well, obviously me and you are just sat here beaming and smiling at each other because the, the confidence is just there. But if we're being realistic, we have to look at the, the Wolves and the Bournemouth games as the ones that, one, we have to win either one and draw one or win one and, and you know, get get something from the other. So I think if we're being realistic, them two games are, are the ones that we have to, to be focusing on. Yeah, they're crucial. The City game, you know, we're definitely going to take it seriously because you've got it, haven't you? But, you know, we've got to look at Bournemouth and Wolves as the ones where we can pick up points. But this season's been really, really taxing on us emotionally, hasn't it? It's yeah. just, it's not been great. And I imagine we've probably been quite argumentative and we've probably had a face on as well after all of these Everton defeats this season. But not today. Here's Marty Bum by Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> Welcome back to a game of two halves. You could say we're not qualified to talk about this next thing because Everton haven't really experienced the Champions League before, but we're going to talk about it anyway. The Champions League semi-finals are massive at the minute. Manchester City are playing Real Madrid and AC Milan are playing Inter. We'll start with Man City-Real Madrid. This is the game of all games, isn't it? Oh, I mean, Ellis, who knows? We Next season, we could be in the Champions League. You know, <laughs> you never know. Sean Dyche could take us on a European tour. Could do, could know. do. But yeah, City-Real City Madrid, huge game in it. It's it's one of these semi-finals where you think it should be the final. And if you look at the tournament tree and, and the, the other semi-final, you're looking at that and it's like, maybe the winner of this game might actually have a shot at winning the tournament. So yeah, huge semi-final. Obviously City went to the Bernabeu last night and drew one all. Um, what are you thinking for the rest of this tie? Because it's, it's hanging in the balance, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'd say it's the de facto semi, the final really. Mm. I think it's in effect basically the final because you look at the other two teams they're nowhere near as strong on paper as Manchester City and Real Madrid but the winner of this game still has another game to go so you can't write them off just yet but for me it is the final and yeah it was an interesting game last night it was an interesting tactical battle wasn't quite as frenetic as the game last year the 4-3 in the first leg but it's still an interesting game to watch I thought Man City held their own quite well and Real Madrid will be coming out that more disappointed mm. because in Champions League games, you always want to at least draw away from home before the home leg, don't you? Yeah, it was a funny old game, wasn't it, really? Because I thought Manchester City dominated that first half, but it was Madrid that went into half-time leading. And then vice versa, you look at the second half, Madrid were you know, the dominant side in that second half. I thought they, they could have capitalised on that 1-0 lead they went into half-time with and maybe made it 2 or 3. But two screamers from two fantastic players tip the balance and it, it ended a draw so I think in hindsight for both teams I think they can't really complain because the balance of the game they both were on par so yeah I think a one-all draw was a fair result if we look at the two players who scored the goals the two players are very much worth talking about aren't they we'll start with Vinicius Junior you know he's shot onto the scene in the last mm. three or four years and he's looking like one of the best players in the world now isn't he 
He's he's like a he's like a Neymar regen, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's one of those players that has come from Brazil, like absolutely nowhere, and he's just as you said, burst onto the scene. He, he looks fantastic, doesn't he? And yeah, he's one of those players for Madrid that could win them this tie and, and could win them the Champions League. That's the thing. Real Madrid don't have to be playing that well in a match, do they? They they have so much quality on the break with Benzema, with Rodrigo, with Vinicius that they can be out of a game and suddenly just turn it on its head, like they did last year in this repeat tie. Mm. You know when they played it last year they didn't deserve to go through but they managed and that's what I'd be worried about as a City fan now because he goes to the Etihad and it's not as simple as you've just got to win your home game now they Real Madrid really could go and win at the Etihad couldn't they oh 100% I think Madrid you can't you can't deny that they're they've got superstars in that team they're, they're a fantastic side Ancelotti's a fantastic manager they're just a, a well-oiled machine aren't they in the Champions League I know it's quite a bit of a cliche to say and I, like, I know BT Sports quite like to, to make uh, light of that but yeah I think with Madrid they could just go to the Etihad and, and wipe the floor with City so I think City have to be on the top of their game next week I think Real Madrid win so many Champions Leagues that they're so used to it. I think there's almost a, an aura within the club that just carries them through every time. I, I really don't know what happens when they're in the Champions League because they aren't actually always that good in La Liga. Turn up in the Champions League and they beat anybody. Yeah. But is this Manchester City's time? And if they don't do it this year, will they ever? I think this is the best ever opportunity that they're going to get in the next few years because you look at teams like Bayern who haven't had a great tournament. You look at teams like Liverpool who are always quite good in the Champions League as, as much as it pains me to say. Um, and these teams are all out. So Madrid are the only sort of giants, super giants of Champions League football that are left in their way. So if City can overcome them, you do think if they don't win it, something's gone horribly wrong and are they ever going to win it? You do wonder if there's a bit of a curse against him and Yaya Torre's <laughs> claim may. He said that the curse has actually gone now, so perhaps they will win it this year because <laughs> Yaya Torre's magic curse is gone, but they need to. And if we look at the other semi-final now, these will be their opponents if they mm. do win. So we've got AC Milan, Inter Milan, an absolute classic fixture historically, two huge clubs. A Milan derby in a, in a Champions League semi-final. It's like, it's like we're in the 2006 again, isn't it? It's like these two super giants of, of European football are, are back to their best. And I think for Italian football, it's been a really good season, hasn't it? Because Napoli have had a decent season. Obviously, they've won the Scudetto in Italy and even getting as far as the quarterfinals in the Champions League was a huge achievement for them. And you look at the two teams that are below them in Serie A are actually in a Champions League semi-final. So I think it's going to be a really good game and a, a real sort of swan song for the San Siro. Yeah, I think that kind of shows the improvement of Italian football, the mm. fact that the title winners aren't in that semi-final, but it's teams that are actually below them that are. And they've impressed across the competitions this year. Fiorentina are looking to win the Conference League, aren't they, as mm. well, potentially? And yet the, the two Milan teams are the ones you instantly think of when you think Italian football, other than Juventus maybe, but I, the Milan teams are more... Mm. You know, I, I care about them a bit more, I think, and I'm an Inter fan. Who do you side with, Norman? Um, I mean, obviously, I went to the San Siro this, this season and I went to watch uh, Inter Milan versus Bayern Munich, so I probably would side with Inter Milan because, I don't know, I just prefer the, the team. Of, I think it might just be the, the subconscious blue in their kit. It's rather the kit colour. Let's, let's be real, it's the kit <laughs> colour. They've got some good players as well. They've also got a former Everton striker, Romelu Lukaku. Could he have an impact on this or... Will he fail to deliver in another big game? You can never count him out, Lukaku. You you watch him back in the Everton days. He was always one of those players that could have a poor game and score a hat trick. I think back to the Bournemouth game where he was where we won six three, scored four goals that day. I didn't think he had a particularly good game, but he just everything he touched seemed, seemed to turn to gold. So you can never count Romelu Lukaku out because he's one of those strikers that will just pop up in a big moment, even if he's not had a good game. 
Well, AC Milan have a big moment player as well, who is actually a doubt for tonight, Rafa Leal. Really, really good player. I've been impressed with him every single time I've watched him. He cuts in from that wing, and the technique on some of his shots mm. when he cuts in is just superb. I can see him in the Premier League soon. Oh, yeah, 100%. And he was a player that was linked with Everton a few years ago, if you if you cast your mind back to that. But Brilliant. <laughs> he's always smiling as well, isn't he, on the pitch. Anyone would think he's he's just watched an Everton performance 5-1 away at Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's a blue, yeah. Maybe that's why he's so happy. <laughs> but, yeah, he's one of those players that can, like Lukaku, doesn't have to have a particularly good game, but can just pop up in a big moment. Yeah, I can see it being quite a tight contest because mm. both teams you know traditionally Italian teams are good defensively as well they've both got some real good attacking quality as well though and it's going to be very interesting because when before other than another Milan derby has the home and away leg been at the same place it's mental isn't it it's, it's one of those rare occasions in football isn't it but yeah, it's such a nice stadium. It's like you've been, like, what did you think of it when you went? The atmosphere is incredible in there. The, the, I think it was the, the Curva Sud, I think, is where the Inter Milan fans sit and they were just bouncing the whole game. And even they were 2-0 down to Bayern Munich and they were even bouncing until the final whistle. So yeah, it's like a historic stadium with a huge atmosphere and it kind of deserves to be a, a venue for a Champions League semi-final. So would you say the winner of that... Is it a foregone conclusion that they lose in the final or do you give any hope to either of those teams purely because of the history behind them? Oh, absolutely not. I think anyone can win the Champions League on a one-off game. I think you cash your mind back to, to Chelsea in that 2020 final. Was it? Uh, yeah, it was 2020 um, where Kai Havertz scored against Manchester City. Um, they were massive underdogs in that game. Everyone except, expected City to turn up, wipe the floor with Chelsea and, and win their first Champions League. But I think it's one of those tournaments where anything can happen in the final so I would definitely not count out either team if they were to come up against Madrid or Manchester City in the final. Well you mentioned Chelsea they've also had another campaign which was unexpected mm. wasn't it the 2012 one where mm. they beat Barcelona and then they beat Bayern in the final anything can happen though because those games it's absolutely wild isn't it some of the fixtures we had in the past like remember Tottenham Ajax that year mm. that was one that always stands out for me. Yeah it was it was one of those where it's 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 the the measure of the tournament isn't it it's one of those where you can just anyone can turn up and have a, a huge cup run. Yeah, definitely. But the Champions League is so unpredictable. It isn't always a good game. It's not all the time that we get to watch the best of football, only sometimes. So where's Jerry Cinnamon to sing about it? This is sometimes. Welcome back to a game of two halves. Now, we've talked about Everton. We've talked about Champions League, you know. Two interlinking topics there. We, we might be in the Champions League next season. We never know. Um, now we're going to move on to our final predictions for the rest of the season. I'm talking title race, top four, top six, and relegation. We'll start at the top, title race. Now, since our last show, a lot has changed in this title race. Arsenal were in the driving seat, weren't they? But now it seems to be swinging towards the way of Manchester City. So I'm going to ask you, Ellis, how do you think this title race is going to finish? I'll say one thing. It's done. It's over. Right now, it is complete. And I've backed Manchester City all the way from start to end. I never believed that they would lose the title. It just couldn't happen. And Arsenal have done exactly what I expected them to do, and they've crumbled. People can say that they haven't crumbled. People can say that they're a great team, which they are but they haven't got it in them to see out a title. Those three draws in a row, they stuttered and City pounced. I completely agree. I think City now will just edge it. I think if you'd have asked me maybe two and a half, three months ago, it was still in the balance because, you know, Arsenal looked like this rejuvenated side under Mikel Arteta. They had the confidence, they had maybe the lack of experience, but they still had the, the ability to be able to see this, this league title out. But it's just the measure of that Manchester City team, isn't it? They've just... 
rocked up since the the turn of the year and just made sure that they've they've not put a foot wrong and they deserve this title really don't they that's what Manchester City do, isn't it? They always seem to tease the other teams. Liverpool fans will know, Ben. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm sure you know. <laughs> they tease the teams, and then they turn into an absolute machine in February, March, and then they just go on an extreme winning run. And when you've got the depth that they have and it gets to crunch time with all them games, it doesn't even phase them because they've got so many good players. You know, they're probably going to rest players on Sunday against Everton, but I bet they still put an unbelievable lineup out. So I can't see them slipping up one more time, can you? I mean... <sighs> We have kind of predicted, haven't we, to say that um, City might drop points at Goodison. I do think if they are going to drop points between now and the end of the season, it will be at Goodison. Sorry to any City fans listening. But um, yeah, they're just a top side, aren't they? And whatever team they put out, they seem that they can just steamroll every single opposition. Yeah, to be fair, I was kind of saying as if the Everton game's already been played and we've won because, you know, we're going to beat them, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Who, knows? Lo- Who knows? I love the confidence. But, you know, you may as well have a bit of hope. And, um, yeah, City, just let us win on Sunday and then you can win every game you want. Connie, you can win that title. I know you really want them to win the title and I'm sure they will. I back them all the way. So, yeah, City for me. I back them as well. I think I think City will just edge it. So now we'll move on to the top four. So, so we've got City at the top and Arsenal in second. Who fills up those last two spots? I think... Newcastle have sorted themselves out after mm. a tiny little stutter, but they're right back on it now. They look a really strong team, home and away. I think they will only get fourth, though. I do think they'll drop a couple of points and it'll lead Man United to get into third because Man United have got better players on paper and I do think they'll get in there. Who do you think? I've gone with Newcastle third because, as you said there, they have sorted themselves out and I think they'll just have enough to see it out. I think their their fixtures towards the end of the season do favour them a little bit. They have got Leeds this weekend, so one, we're hoping that they can beat Leeds. So I think if they do manage to see it out, I think, yeah, it'll be in third and I've gone with Manchester United in fourth. Well, I think there'll be a few fans of a certain club crying out for us to talk about them, so we'll talk about them as well. Liverpool, can they make a late push to the top four? Mm, I mean, if you'd have asked me two, three weeks ago, I'd have said yeah, because they looked like they'd sorted their issues out as well and they'd look to put a bit of form together. But a few results here and there that haven't gone their way and they've they've looked a little bit lacklustre at times. So I think they'll probably just settle fifth. Um, yeah, just falling short of that top four, which, to be fair, if you'd have looked at them before the before the turn of the year... I think top four they would have snapped your hand off for. They were uh, top five, sorry, they would have snapped your hand off for. Yeah, they were they were languishing with Chelsea at one point, weren't they? And they seem to have pulled themselves well away from that. And there's another team we do have to mention, which might be in the actual one below now, because Brighton seemed to just be a bit mm. too far from top four after a certain team battered them. Yeah, the I mean, they just needed to win, didn't they, on Monday? And you know, Dwight McNeil rocked up and, and spoiled their European party. So. Yeah, I've gone with Spurs in sixth, actually, and I've gone with Brighton in seventh, which is maybe a little bit controversial, but I do think Brighton, that will derail them a little bit, that result on Monday, and I think Spurs will just nick into sixth. Interesting. I think Liverpool will definitely get fifth, Mm -hmm. and they've got way more quality than anyone else. Tottenham seem to still find ways to win, and they did win at the weekend, so perhaps for them, Ryan Mason can kind of drag them over the line into a European position. I've got Brighton 7th as well, just because they'll have a bit too much for Villa. They are a very good team, apart from when they play a really great team like Everton. But (laughs) yeah, Brighton have been so impressive all season and they really do deserve credit. Aston Villa are just going to miss out. Mm. 
just but what they've done is incredible isn't it oh yeah i think we have to we'll get onto it in a, in a little bit in a little while with the um managerial situation of unai emery but you have to give honorable mentions to aston villa and brentford in a way for their european pushes because if you look at aston villa where they were before the world cup before they brought in unai emery they were they were in a relegation battle really they were languishing near us which was crazy so for the squad they've got i think I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they take a little step back from this European race just to, towards the end of the season, focus on the league next year, and I don't see any reason why they can't get into Europe next season. I want to hear more about Tottenham from you. I want to hear what you think about them because they've been in a load of drama in recent weeks, which is like, what a terrible situation coming six mm. in the Premier League. It's a disaster, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, they have had some real issues, and I will acknowledge that because I know there's some Tottenham fans who might be listening, and Daniel Levy, there's a lot of question marks over that. Him and Enoch, there's loads of it. But Tottenham, they win games still. They've got mm. quality. Do they cement themselves very comfortably in six, or do they just scrape it? Mm, I think it'll go to the last day. I do think it's one of them that won't be solid i don't think they'll go into the last day completely solid they'll be able to rest players i think it'll be one of them where there'll always be a little bit of jeopardy and they'll, they'll feel like they could slip into seventh they could bump up into fifth so it's one of those where it's it's so tight isn't it the battle for, for top seven so yeah i think since our last show they've they've gone through two managers haven't they they've gone through antonio conte and then their caretaker manager in christian stellini so i think they really need a little bit of stability, don't they, in the summer? Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure some of the clubs we're going to go talk about now need a bit of stability as well. The teams at the bottom, we're very heavily involved in this, but we'll try not to focus on Everton too much because we've told you all about them. What do you think is going to happen in the relegation battle? I mean, we've, we have to start, don't we, with Southampton. They're gone. Southampton are, are probably out of this now. Eight points adrift. Yeah, I think if they'd have managed to beat Nottingham Forest, they would have had a slight sniff of getting out of it. But yeah, Southampton are cut adrift. They're gone. I think 18th and 19th are the two most hotly contested positions now, aren't they? Between Everton, Leicester, Leeds and Nottingham Forest. I think West Ham have just pulled away with that crucial win against Manchester United. So there's four teams for two positions. Um, It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because... We're, we've been so positive, haven't we, in this in this radio show after the Brighton victory? And um, if we'd have done radio shows over the uh, over the Easter period, and, and you'd have heard my thoughts, I was resigned to relegation, wasn't I? I was I was a lot more negative than I am now. Um, I think Leeds don't have enough. So any Leeds fans listening, I'm sorry, and we are in enemy lines, aren't we? Here in, in the city of Leeds. So yeah, I'm going to say Leeds are going to go down in 19th, and Leicester in 18th a big call that because before the weekend everyone would have said either Everton or Nottingham Forest um but I'm going to go Leicester because that performance against Fulham I've watched it back I've watched some highlights back and they do not look like a team that's fighting for their lives they look like a team that's mid-table on the beach don't they yeah they do it's very weird situation at Leicester the fans are not happy at all I heard them singing you're not fit to wear the shirt Dean Smith sought them out they really were not impressed with their side and I think that 5-3 was not justified of how the game actually went they got battered and Leicester should hang their heads in shame after Mm. that performance and I think they are right in it now I've always thought they can drag themselves out because the quality they have but now missing Madison with two Mm. games for the next two games that could be crucial that's huge isn't it that that Madison loss obviously with his accumulating his 10th yellow card that is huge that's a huge loss for them and 
that could be the difference of going down and staying up. I can't see him picking up another point until the last day of the season, which they could be gone by then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Leicester for me are going down, and I have got Leeds there as well. We're really sorry, LSR. We're dissing the local team while we're in Leeds. What a disgrace we are. But Leeds, they leak goals. They've brought in a manager to try and stop them from leaking goals. But if your defence is that bad, can you really stop it? A man we know all too much about, don't we? In Mr. Sam Allardyce, and we have been there before, Leeds fans. It, it won't be the most pretty performances of, of your life, and you definitely won't like what he says in the media. But you know, if he keeps you up and he gets your results, so be it. Yeah, I hope he doesn't. And <laughs> for me, Nottingham Forest have just got a bit more spirit about them. The fans are right behind them, the fans adore the manager, mm. Steve Cooper. They've put their faith in him, they didn't sack him, and now. Their home form, the way they play at home, they, f- they feel like they have the fans behind them and away from home, they picked up one result, haven't they? But Chelsea away at the weekend, that could be a chance for them. But it's the home results that will keep Forrest up. Oh, 100%. I think they've been abysmal, haven't they, all season away from home. But yeah, as you said, the, the home form will keep them up and it's the spirit of the fans that will actually keep them up. Um, but yeah, now here is a song that might have been played on LSR before and it might have been played on this show before. But I thought it was only right to play it again considering it is his birthday. And we don't really do birthday shout-outs, do we, on, on A Game of Two Halves? But it's a tribute to Richarlison. Here's She's Electric by Oasis. Welcome back to A Game of Two Halves. Now, we've touched on Everton, Champions League, the relegation battle, battle for top four. But now, it's one of the most hotly contested topics, isn't it, of this season? And there's been so many managerial changes all year. You look at Everton have made managerial changes. Everyone in that relegation battle, bar West Ham, has made a managerial change. So we're going to touch on the question of what is the most important managerial change of this season? I'll start with you, Ellis. I think there's been so many, and there's some managers who've come in who could put up an argument for being manager of the year, actually. There's been some crucial ones, and I think... I want to start with the probably understated one that people don't talk about that much. I think that's the Bournemouth manager, Mm -hmm. Gary O'Neill. He's come in, I think he was appointed internally, and he got the caretaker role, and then he was offered the permanent job, which a lot of fans might have thought would have been their resignation to relegation, just assuming we're going down and we're going to just put our faith in him to keep us up. But he's pulled out some unbelievable results, and now Bournemouth are safe and don't even have to worry for these last three games. I mean, if you'd have looked at his sort of managerial what's the word the the managerial um, status that he had in the game before he took that Bournemouth job no one knew who he was and to see the job he's done is is just amazing to see and and the way that he's managed to to drag them out of that relegation battle and to now being safe with what three four games to go I think it's every credit to him and yeah as 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 you said there I'm going to agree with you and say that's probably one of the most understated but one of the most important Yeah, he invested in the team, of course, so they did spend a bit of money in January, which has to be noted, but the players that are delivering from aren't just them new players. You know, uh, Dango Atara has had a couple of goals, but Mm. I think the the likes of Dom Solanke and Philip Billion and Jefferson Lerma, they seem to be the ones that are carrying them through, and they were already at the club. You know, this team, on paper, everyone wrote them off at the start of the season. They were 20th placed, everyone was saying... There's no way that they're going to get any more than 20. If I'm looking at them now, they're, they're actually quite close to Chelsea in the league, which no one would have thought. I mean, you look at how Scott Parker left them in, what month was it? I think it was September or, or even August. Very early on. I think it was, so it was very early on the season after that 9-0 defeat at Anfield. So, yeah, to, to see what they were then to what they are now, I think it's every credit to O'Neill. I think he's had a really good spell in charge and I, I, I can't see them actually having too many problems next season. I think unless they don't, uh, reinforce in the summer which I think they have to do because that squad isn't really a a squad that's not going to be involved in a relegation battle 
um, I think, yeah, I think they can they can have a good season next year as well. Well, talking of another manager who was initially involved in the relegation battle, Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa, it all went completely wrong for him. Like, I'm absolutely devastated. You can probably sense my sarcasm there because I'm really not. But they brought in Unai Emery, an experienced manager in Europe who's done wonderful things at Valencia, Villarreal. He's done some incredible jobs. Sevilla, in particular, actually, he did fantastically there. And he come to Aston Villa with a good reputation, but a questionable one in the Premier League after he struggled at Arsenal. And he's come in and he's took the league by storm. Oh, he's been fantastic, hasn't he? I think, as I said in, in the last part, Aston Villa looked like a team that were resigned to relegation in a relegation battle before the World Cup and to see him come in and, and see what he's done with that team, it's every credit to him because he's he's been fantastic and Villa now look like a team that one could push for Europe this season, I, I do think they'll quite just miss out but next season there's no reason why they can't be one in top six, maybe even push for top four. It's insane what's happened to them, really, because they were down and out, completely down and out. And the way they play now, they're such a threat to big teams, to smaller teams. Ollie Watkins has exploded, mm. and you've got to credit Emery for that because he wasn't exploding under Gerrard, yeah. was he? Gerrard almost ousted him from the squad. He's been absolutely fantastic. And then the other players have just shot to form as well. Tyrone Ming suddenly looks like a good defender. Yeah, and I think as well we have to, to um, make some comparisons to Aston Villa's situation, to Wolves' situation as well, because Lopetegui's come in, Wolves were rock bottom in the World Cup break, and he's come in and, and steered them away from relegation. So I think that... That appointment is a little bit um, similar, but on a smaller scale. I think with Wolves, they're a little bit of a smaller club than Villa. Um, so I think Wolves can probably push to be a mid-table team next year under Lopetegui. And it's just a smaller scale appointment than what the Emery situation was at Villa. I think they did it right timing-wise. They did it before we restarted again after the World mm. Cup. Lopetegui had the entire World Cup break to sort his team out and get ready to start again. And they've had some dips, haven't they? They've they've also had some really good wins. Mm. They've been good at home. And they spent money. They spent £40 million on Mateus Cunha, didn't they? Yeah. Which hasn't really been that fruitful. But what Lopetegui's done is just solidified into the point now where they aren't in any trouble going into the final games. And surely every Wolves fan would have took that. I think Wolves were, were like Villa. They were worried about a relegation battle, weren't they, during the World Cup? And you hear uh, yeah, sorry, you hear Wolves fans singing songs about Lopetegui's going to keep us in the league. And I think that's the, the mentality that they had, that they were in a relegation battle. So to be safe with, what, three games to go, I think, again, that's just another important managerial change. But we focus now on the positive managerial changes. What about the negative ones? You look at Frank Lampard at Chelsea. I mean, he went how many games unbeaten? Six games unbeaten. Uh, sorry, six games beaten. He lost all six games, all six of his first games in a row. So that was a really strange appointment, wasn't it? And I was very shocked to see that he was in the even in the speech for that Chelsea job. Unbelievably, he fell upwards, didn't he? You know, <laughs> he got sacked from Everton and got the Chelsea job. And after Graham Potter really struggled, people were a bit surprised by that because we know how well he did at Brighton. It went so wrong for him. But maybe he's kind of gained a bit of credit back by mm. the fact that Lampard couldn't do anything else with them either. Like the, the crop of players they've got at Chelsea now is probably the best they've had for a long time. And the young players, well, they've got so much talent coming through, but there's too many players and the setup at Chelsea is completely chaotic. And I think a good manager can only thrive in a good environment. And we know Lampard has had his struggles as a manager, but in a bad environment, no one can succeed for me. Oh, 100%. I, I do massively agree. So I'm going to pose a question now to you. Who do you think is the worst managerial appointment this season? Because I've got one in my head, and I, I think 
because of a little bit of recency bias. I think people might look towards Lampard losing six games in a row and go, well, he's definitely the worst appointment. But for me, I think it has to be Nathan Jones at Southampton. I thought that was a terrible appointment. I thought it couldn't have gone worse. I think he got one result, which was good. It was the... the Manchester City Carabao Cup win sorry to to bring that up for Manchester City fans but yeah I think he was way out of his depth he had too big of an ego for that job and I think it was it was a horrendous appointment he was a weird character wasn't he he really did seem to overly believe in himself when he Mm. didn't actually have the CV to back it up and he eventually didn't have the managerial nows to back it up either and Southampton wasted some key games there by doing that which has led to them now being in the position where they can't get out Mm. they're eight points clear eight points adrift now which just means they're gone and Nathan Jones definitely contributed to that because that much upheaval in a season to have changed manager twice it doesn't really like bode well for no. the season and another manager who which another club who actually did that is Leeds the appointment of Harry Gracia did not last long either did it it was a bad appointment that they they looked to get worse didn't they after sacking Jesse Marsh and to have Sam Allardyce come in I think as just a firefighter appointment it shows how bad Harry Gracia actually was for that Leeds team yeah I, I couldn't believe it because he did start okay didn't he and it just absolutely collapsed the elite goal so much and it's going to be very interesting now to see how they cope with the final new manager Allardyce it's going to be an interesting one I agree. After the break, we're going to bring you the final fan favourite of this show. It's Upset of the Week. But first, here's all of the lights. Welcome back to the Game of Two Halves. Now it's time for the fan favourite, Upset of the Week. I know everyone always listens to this and sometimes it actually comes in, don't we? We've had quite a lot of success with these Upsets of the Week. It's back, it's back. (laughs) But... What do you think my upset of the week is, Ellis? Now, we've talked about it quite a lot, haven't we? I'm, I'm going to start here because I want to get this out early doors. Well, I'll tell you all, like I always tell you, we haven't conferred on this because we don't do that on this show. But I do think that you've gone with Everton to beat Man City because that's just the way this show's been brewing today. <laughs> Have you? Okay, I've not gone with Everton to beat Man City. I've gone with Everton to get a point at least against Manchester City. Okay. So I've gone, I've gone quite reserved with that one, you know, it, it's kind of expected that at this point, isn't it, for us to get a point against Manchester City on Yeah, Sunday. you know, we're, we're on an even keel, aren't we? Yeah. We're both pretty similar sides. It's just Pep and, and Sean Dyche are just two fantastic managers. Let's just enjoy them, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well <laughs> I definitely think we can get something. I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. If you've not already noticed, quite a lot of this is sarcasm, but we have got a bit of hope after Sunday, after Monday, sorry, and you have to let us have that hope because we've had a tough season. I would say it's quiet confidence, but it's definitely not quiet confidence because we've definitely not been quiet about it on the show, <laughs> have we? <laughs> but, but, well, we'll move on to your upset of the week, Alice. What, what are you going with? Well, I've not gone with Everton just because I just don't want to jinx it, to be honest. I've gone with Southampton to beat Fulham just mm. because they're down now, the pressure's off. Ruben Sellers has shown some glimpses of quite a strong team performance. Mm. Like they seem to be set up quite well at times, but good performances don't always turn into points for them, which is a bit of an issue, which has led to them inevitably going down. But I do think they'll beat Fulham because Fulham don't have a load to play for. I did speak to a Fulham fan the other day who said they've got loads left to play for because they want to finish above Chelsea, but right. I don't think that that is quite the same drive as what a team who really has to win all three games mm. And to even have a sniff, isn't it? It's it's one of them where Southampton probably are now in the in the mindset where they're thinking, right, we're already down, so we might as well go and have fun and, and go and enjoy our last three games in the Premier League. I think that might actually contribute more to their performance rather than saying, okay, we have the pressure of having to win all three games. I think they'll have the mindset of, we're already gone, let's just go and enjoy it. 
Yeah, and imagine if they did win all three games. Let's really hope that doesn't happen. But they've shown glimpses. You know, the way they played against Arsenal was really impressive until they just collapsed. Like, they went 3-1 up against Arsenal, which yeah. is just madness, isn't it? So I think Ruben Sellers has got glimpses of hope for that team in the Championship. But I'm not sure I'm going to go with them to win, though. You touched on, touched on Arsenal there a little bit with uh, how they managed to get the 3 all draw against Southampton. And I have got a little bit of a second upset of the week because, you know, as we said there, it's a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of quiet confidence with Everton getting a point against Manchester City. So I'm going to go with a little backup one, you know, just to just to even the playing field. And I've gone with Brighton to beat Arsenal at the Emirates on Sunday afternoon. So after we've got our point against Manchester City, City will be stressing and then Brighton will go and do them a, do them a favour and beat Arsenal at the Emirates. I think that could definitely happen because Brighton have got a lot to react to after a result that we <laughs> haven't mentioned yet. I don't think we've mentioned it just yet. But yeah, they did lose 5-1 to Everton <laughs> at the Amex at the weekend, which was pretty good, to be honest. But yeah, Brighton are playing Arsenal, and I do think that they can do it as well. I think, you know, they're a strong side. We can laugh at them all we want, but they are mm. a really good team. And the pressure is on Arsenal mm. at the minute. We've noticed them crumble already. They really could do it again. I don't know if these players have got it in them to see it out. I think as well, you look at Robert De Zerbi in the post-match interview against Everton. He was um, saying, you're going to see the real Brighton against Arsenal. So I, th- I think, you know, if they do show up at the Emirates, I do think they can win. Because, you know, as you said there, they are quite a good side. And Were they not the real Brighton? <laughs> are they trying to take the win away from us? Really? <laughs> but yeah, I think it's one of them where... That could be an upset on the cards, and I think Brighton could get a result there. There's some very, very interesting fixtures now, because with three games to go, I think you could also look at Leeds versus Newcastle, because mm. Leeds have to win. It's at Ellen Road. I'm sure they'll like to say that the atmosphere there is just fantastic, <laughs> so maybe they'll drag them over the line. Do you think Leeds have a chance? They definitely have a chance, because it's Sam Allardyce, and he'll just end up playing you know, seven at the back, and having 15% possession and somehow managing to win 1-0. So you can't write them off. I think it's quite conveniently selected, isn't it, these upsets of the week. (laughs) They don't include any other relegation candidates because we don't want to tempt fate of having them get a victory. So I think they definitely can win, but uh, I think Newcastle will have a little bit too much for them. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Because the way Newcastle play away from home, Mm. we've seen them put absolute bagfuls of goals in against teams and especially against the team who leak goals I think there is a chance that they do get beat there but Newcastle will the pressure get to them you know they've been so consistent all the way through now but they've got three games to go is there a chance that the pressure gets them and they Mm. crumble rather than Leeds playing well I think Newcastle have gone through their crumbling phase and, and they've gone past that point where you know they have that little mini blip and head start to drop and the mindset changes a little bit I think they've gone through that I think they've actually managed to to get through that and overcome it so I I don't think that'd be a worry right if we go for your score on your upset of the week then you'll get the point regardless if you win it because that's just incredible imagine if it comes in Brighton Arsenal who wins what score 2-1 Brighton right okay and I will go with a nice 3-2 3-2 win for Southampton nice. <laughs> against Fulham. I think it's going to be a good game. There's, You know, Fulham have got some really good attacking players, but they sometimes leak goals as well. So. And Everton to draw 0-0 against Manchester City. 0-0? 0-0 at Goodison Park? No. I think it's going to be 2-2. <laughs> Oof, that's, that's Scoring a... goals for fun at the moment, <laughs> aren't we? But that completes our final live show of the year. It's a sad one, but 
you know that's not the end of us we've been doing podcasts on spotify the blue corner is always coming out very regularly but we'll be doing these as well on spotify because we know that you like these shows we love talking about general football as well and please do make sure you keep a lookout on our socials because they're going to be active we're going to try and get active on tiktok we're going to try and get active on twitter and instagram and there's just going to be loads of content for you i can absolutely guarantee that we're hoping to be back on LSR next year. Producers, if you're listening, please, please get us on because we absolutely love doing this. But just stay tuned because there's loads more to come. But I'm very sorry to say that is all for now. And so. also keep an eye on the YouTube as well because we did do a relegation special. So, yeah, keep an eye on socials and thanks for listening.